When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm one of your hosts and my name is Adam Russell. Hey everybody, I'm also a host on this program. My name is Ryan Key. And I'm Nick Ambarian, the third host. Thanks for having me. You too. Welcome to the program. <laughs> uh, anytime. I know I've been here. I just figured maybe I'd reintroduce myself. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Does anyone else's grandpa say program? I say program. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I make that joke from my my, gra- my southern grandparents who would say uh, we're watching our programs. Or my stories. <laughs> the stories. Yeah, or stories. <laughs> Yo, this, I don't know what part of the country says this, but my grandparents were from Decatur, Illinois. My grandparents are from Decatur, Georgia. Damn. How about that? And my grandpa always called a sofa a couch. He called it a Davenport. Ooh, that, oh. that's some old-timey Midwestern shit, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. What about commode? Commode? <laughs> yeah. I grew up for sure here in commode. My grandparents pretty... I think it's a pretty Southern thing, but it also just might be an old one. I think it's a military thing as well. Yeah, they, they called the toilet the commode. Both of them did. My, my mima and my papa. <laughs> They both called them. Called you had them a Mima too? I had a Mima. I had a, a Mima, a Papa, and a Nana. I never met Nana's hu- husband, my grandpa on my dad's side. I didn't meet him. He passed away. May he rest in peace. But Mima and Papa called it a commode watching their stories and programs, for sure. <laughs> Speaking of those who have passed away, who have become one with the Force, we learned a few days ago at the time of this recording that uh, the man who originally portrayed Darth Vader, David Prowse, the man in the suit who uh, provided all the physicality, the physical performance. I was going to say the one who, the man who James Earl Jones laid down on the tracks for. Yep. He said, you know what? I don't need no credit. He did all the work. He was a giant, giant man. He was 85. We don't know if that's really why James Earl Jones didn't take credit in the credits, but I want to believe that's why. Me too. <laughs> but amidst that sadness, there was still so much excitement and love for what happened last Friday. Holy shit, chapter 13 of The Mandalorian, The Jedi, dropped, and the world f***ing erupted. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Yeah. It's safe to say, holy felony. <laughs> holy felony. Hey, guys, I have, a, I have a prop. You ready? I'm ready. It's born ready, Nick. Let's go, man. Check it out. Hey. Hello. Holy felony. Beard and all. I'm from Pittsburgh. <laughs> what else? What else do I know? I think he likes hockey. I created Ahsoka. My name's Dave Filoni. You're rich. That's what happens when you get a, a cowboy hat. <laughs> you look amazing. <laughs> cowboy hats are not comfortable. I don't know if this one just doesn't fit me well. But... Got to break it in. Got to get out on the range or whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's not conducive to wearing uh, headphones either. <laughs> Got to hit the trail, Dave. <laughs> yeah, do cowboys wear in-ears or how do, how do they get the head? <laughs> they must. Only earbuds on a horse. All right, let's get into this. I'm so pumped to talk about this. This is the very first episode, first Star Wars anything that I like, I couldn't resist. I immediately posted something on our profile. Yeah. It wasn't a spoiler. It was just the image from Disney Plus, but I had to say how excited we were to talk about this. And what's weird is 
Ryan hadn't seen it yet. Ryan, you just watched it day before yesterday? Yesterday? Saturday. I watched it on Saturday. But I knew you'd be over the f***ing moon because look at the thing. Or did I watch it yesterday? Sunday. It might have been yesterday because I was finishing Clone Wars and I wanted to have the full Ahsoka experience story and experience. Yeah, I wanted to know before I saw her... It wasn't a spoiler. I mean, it was like we knew she was coming, but they they, they knew you knew she was coming. So it was like I'm glad that they dropped it in the episode in in chapter 11 because it gave me the heads up to be like, all right, dude, it's time to get serious about this because you can't. You're gonna have to do your job for the podcast, and you can't not watch that episode. But you have to see the Clone Wars before you watch the episode. So I didn't have time to finish the Rebels stuff. Um, I didn't see the Ahsoka Vader stuff, but still, uh, dude. The finale of season seven Ugh. of the series. Some of the best. <laughs> Unreal. Some of the best Star Wars. I was blown Ooh. away. So I watched the final three episodes of Clone Wars, the animated series, directly into chapter 13. Damn, dude. You're doing it. Four in a row, back to back like that. That's how you do it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the right move. Oh, dude, Wait I'm- until you watch that Rebel stuff, man. You will, you will cry for sure. Ahsoka versus Vader. Oof. Yeah, Ooh. can't wait. It's heavy. No spoilers. It's, it's just great. That's all I can say. It's just great. All right, let's get into stolen plans. What have you done with those plans? The Mandalorian Chapter 13, The Jedi, released Friday, November 27th, 2020, directed by Dave Filoni, written by Dave Filoni. Holy Filoni! Cowboy hats on. <laughs> Starring new to the Star Wars universe. Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Fuck yeah. Killed it. Killed it. She killed Diana it. Diana Lee Inosanto as Morgan Elsbeth. Michael Bean as Lang. Kyle Reese in the building. Father of the leader of the resistance against the machines. <laughs> Father of John Connor in the building. Wing Tao Chow as Governor Wing. Not even an actor. An Imagineer. This dude killed it. Yeah. Yeah. How cool is that? Such a cool Disney Lucasfilmy thing to do. Yeah. He's like a Disney Hall of Famer. It's like a Disney legend, which is basically the Disney Hall of Fame. 40 minute runtime, 9.7 on IMDb, up from 8.6 the previous week. This is the highest rating on IMDb of all 13 chapters, as it should be. Yeah. Deservedly so. Dude, can I just like. Should we get into the synopsis and, and kind of just like save our initial, I mean, we already know our feelings, but can we, you just want to save it? We, I mean, if we stop now to talk about it, we're going to, you're going to do the synopsis an hour from now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter 13 opens on the charred forest planet of Corvus. Alarm bells sound over a gated city as townspeople run for safety. Also known as Northern California. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Outside the gates, the dark, foggy forest glows red with blaster fire as scout guards fire frantically, defending against a mystery threat. A hooded figure wielding two white-bladed lightsabers, uh uh-oh, slashes through the fog, deflecting blaster shots and cutting down the guards. We then see the hooded figure's face. Here it is, folks. The moment we've all been waiting for, it is Ahsoka Tano. Holy shit, all caps, bold, <laughs> impact font. You could see her head in the hood yeah. before yeah. they showed her face. It was so quick, though. I mean, just two white lightsabers. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, we are <laughs> 20 seconds into this. Okay, thank you. Thank you for doing this. They really hit the ground running. <laughs> Ahsoka darts through the dense fog, igniting her lightsabers only to strike down a guard, then quickly retracting them to disappear back 
into the darkness. She takes out the guards one by one as she approaches the city's gate. A magistrate and a right-hand man, a mercenary named Lang, wait atop the gate as Ahsoka approaches. I've been expecting you, the magistrate says. Apparently they've interacted before, maybe? We don't know. Then you know what I want, Ahsoka responds. She wants the information that the magistrate has, but the magistrate will not reveal this to Ahsoka. She threatens the lives of the town citizens if Ahsoka won't back down, but Ahsoka is unfazed. In a very Luke Skywalker and Jabba's Palace-style ultimatum, she says, Surrender or face the consequences. You have one day to decide. And disappears into the fog. Badass. I think that fog is fog, but it's also ash. Yeah. Because I live in California, and yeah. that's what the sky looks like when yeah. California's on fire. <laughs> Ashy-ass fog. I loved how she just morphed in and out of it, though. Oh, yeah. so badass. Just like a phantom. After the opening titles roll, we see Din and the child approaching Corvus in the Razor Crest. The child is again fixated on his favorite knob. <laughs> knob. And Mando, <laughs> like a true dad, tells him to cut the shit and get in his seat. You're five. <laughs> he said knob. Reluctantly, the child crawls back to his seat. It's so good, too. By the way. Just the crawling up <laughs> into the seat. Yeah. But as Din starts the landing sequence, the child reaches out with the force and starts to unscrew the knob. The crest lands in the forest outside the city, and as Daddy Din and Force Baby step down the ramp, we see the child holding the knob. He got his toy. Din lightly reprimands him and pockets the knob, and the pair head towards the city to find a lead on the Jedi they're looking for. When they arrive, they're greeted by the mercenary we met earlier, perched atop the gate with his guards. State your business, he says. Great voice, by the way. Yeah. Such that's like that's a, a good, uh, good role for that guy. I haven't seen him in anything in years. But I was just like, oh, yeah, cool. He's been in a ton of stuff, though. When I went back and checked out his IMDb, he's, n he's never stopped working. Hmm. Din claims he's been tracking and is looking for a layover, trying to play it cool. The mercenary comments on the Beskar armor, asks Din if he's part of the Bounty Hunters Guild, and ultimately grants him access through the gates. Kind of suspicious, though. He's got his eye on him. As Din walks through the town, he tries to ask a local for information, but she gives him the cold shoulder. He approaches another local, who asks Din to please not speak to any of the citizens. Hunger Games vibes up in here. People are not living their best lives in this town. <laughs> Suddenly, two armed guards appear, flanking Din. They tell him the magistrate wants to see him, so Din follows the guards. Not a word. He just goes along. As we arrive at the magistrate's quarters, just outside her doors, we see three citizens held captive in some kind of electric shock apparatuses. I got like a crucifixion vibe. Yeah, totally. There's like a platform for them to stand on. And then they're surrounded by these shock rings, so they just have to stand there. And if they get tired and slump over, they get shocked. Pure torture. Din steps through the gates to find the magistrate just kicking it, just chilling out in her beautiful Zen garden, feeding fish, not giving a single shit about everyone outside her walls, fully suffering. This woman is terrible. She propositions Din, asking for help eliminating a Jedi that plagues her town. Plagues her, let's be honest. Din gives her the old, my price is high routine but the magistrate offers a spear made of solid Beskar as payment. It sounds sick. So dope. I want to sample it. I want to know what kind of metal they used for that sound. It sounds incredible. It's Beskar. Duh. <laughs> My bad. It's Beskar. Duh. Din heads back outside the city gates through the charred forest to coordinates provided by the magistrate. He hears some rustling nearby, sets the child down, takes out a scope, and sees the noises were just some big-ass cute animals off in the distance. False alarm. Then, in a flash, Ahsoka descends on Din, slashing at him with both lightsabers, 
He blocks the sabers with his Beskar gauntlets and blasts her with a flamethrower. She flips away, her cape burns, he hits her with the grappling line, tying her up, but she jumps over a branch, flipping again. She really knows how to flip. Pulling Din up by his own rope, hanging him from the tree. Din cuts the line, they both land and draw their weapons, and Din yells, Ahsoka Tano! <laughs> I love his, like, gritty yell voice. Yeah. Ahsoka freezes. He says, Bo-Katan sent me. We need to talk. There's so much glorious nerd in the last three bullet points of this synopsis. <laughs> it's just unreal. Like, I'm just excited that people say her name. Like, yeah. when it's, Katie Sackov, Bo-Katan said her name, I'm like, that's the coolest thing I ever heard. I, and now just him saying it, I'm just like, uh, that's sick. I think it's confirmation that they really are Favreau, Filoni, and whoever else is involved in the next projects. Sort of, they're really just going to say, like, why wouldn't we do that? Right. Like, they're going all in. <laughs> Nick's got the hat back Holy on. Holy Filoni! <laughs> Anytime you say Filoni, I'm putting it on. I'm putting the cowboy hat on. They're they're going so full. You know, this is like full tackle, full pads, tackle football. Like, yep. they're not scared of doing anything. I mean, I just I was just watching it, realizing what we haven't even seen yet is going to be tenfold as gnarly as this. This is like a gateway drug yeah. to what they're preparing to give us in the next decade of Star Wars. Back to the episode. Night has fallen. We see Din pacing while Ahsoka and the child sit quietly across from each other, exchanging subtle nods and facial expressions. The cutest conversation I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> as the child coos and grumbles, Ahsoka responds. No words, just body language. Is he speaking? Do you understand him? Din asks. Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. <laughs> Name reveal. Name reveal. Did not see that coming. Anyone? No. Master Grogu coming at you. I, I never thought we'd get a, a, a name. Dude. Over under on <sighs> Favreau had the name from the beginning. I think I did read that today, actually. We should put in the show notes, but there's a really good Vanity Fair like article uh, interview with Filoni and Rosario Dawson. And uh, yeah, I think they had the name pretty close to the beginning. Yeah, cool. She. It turns out she was there in costume doing, I don't know if she was doing a, a costume test or what, Yeah. the day that they shot that photo of George Lucas holding the child. Unreal. I love that fact. That blew my mind. Just out of frame, yeah. And apparently they knew at that point. John Favreau knew early into season one and told Filoni. He mentions it in the article, so I won't butcher it right now. But like Nick said, we'll put that in the show notes and go read it because it's great. It's really, really good. Ahsoka goes on to tell Din the story of Grogu's life, the Force, and the Jedi. More on this later. The following morning, Ahsoka begins to test Grogu. Young Grogu. <laughs> Lil Grogu. Baby Grogu. Lil Grogu X? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she levitates a rock to him and asks him to send it back. He basically says, whatever, lady. Drops the rock. Typical toddler. It's not until Din offers the knob from the Razor Crest that Grogu finally uses the Force to pull it to him. Din is pumped, like so pumped. Yeah. In such like a, I'm, I'm still trying to be a tough guy, but I, I can't contain my excitement kind of vibe. Like the proudest baseball dad in the whole galaxy. Like his kid just snatched a, a fly ball before it went over the wall, saving the, the whole game. You know what I mean? Amazing dad moment. Ahsoka realizes in this moment that Grogu has a, a pretty significant attachment to Din and says she can't train him. Din pleads with her, but her mind is made up. More on this later. We'll talk. Ahsoka starts to walk away, but Din stops her, confessing that the Magistrate sent him to kill her. The TLDR is Ahsoka gives Din the backstory on the Magistrate, and they decide to team up, and they're going to go take her down. They exchange some words, but yeah, okay, deal. I'll think about training this kid if we go knock this son of a bitch out. 
Ahsoka and Din head toward the town, apparently splitting up before they arrive. Ahsoka cuts her way through the guards, scales the wall, and makes her way into the city where she's met by a squad of soldiers, some assassin droids, Elsbeth, the magistrate, and Lang, the mercenary. She tosses Din's shoulder pauldron at their feet, claiming she's killed him, and demands to know the whereabouts of the magistrate's master. Who we all think right then is Moff Gideon. Right. Yeah. I mean, I... Totally. I assume the entire world watching the show was like, oh, cool, it's tying into that. Yeah, she's going to go get the Darksaber. Wrong. Nope. Elspeth orders the guards to kill Ahsoka, and they open fire. Ahsoka flips out of there onto a nearby rooftop, deflecting a dodging blaster fire like a true badass. Full ninja movie style. Like, this is... Dude, I mean, talking points, but yes. The village, dude, the samurai vibes in this one were... Through the roof. So sick. As a group of guards, droids, and Lang pursue Ahsoka, Elspeth retreats to her quarters, ordering the remaining guards to execute the citizens imprisoned outside her gate, and then go door to door. Ruthless. No, like, it's just, it's just over? Yeah. This town is over. Yep. This town is canceled. Just as the guards are about to fire on the prisoners, Din jetpacks in and blasts the guards, and the local man from earlier, the one who warned Din not to speak to anyone, appears and helps Din free the prisoners. He's been kind of looking on this whole time, wondering, who is this guy? What's his role? We'll find out a little bit later. Back to Ahsoka. She's taking out guards left and right, two at a time, in and out of the shadows, up and down from the rooftops. They don't stand a chance. They're screwed. They're a bunch of f***ing amateurs. (laughs) Before long, all the guards and droids are eliminated, and Din and Lang square off in the street. Super Western vibes. Yeah, a Western shootout taking place on the main thoroughfare of a samurai village. Yes. In Star Wars. Yes. All of the yes. (laughs) Carry on. Ahsoka makes her way over the wall where she finds Elspeth waiting for her, armed with the Beskar staff that she had offered Din earlier. Shit is about to go down. Ahsoka and the Magistrate face off, straight Kung Fu showdown style. All the posturing, the stances, the sizing each other up stuff. The water garden? Yes. The fight ensues, and Elspeth is actually badass, like fully qualified to go toe-to-toe with a Jedi. I didn't expect this, personally. I didn't either. I figured she was just kind of like power by fear kind of vibes, but no, she's a badass. Like, such a good fight scene. Yeah, she was straight Donatello with that staff. (laughs) Yeah. Makes me wonder, like, if more people, if more adversaries to Jedi were able to block lightsabers, if they would stand a better chance. Right. Like, she had that Beskar, so the lightsabers were kind of moot point, Ahsoka. On the other side of the wall, Lang and Din remain in a standoff, awaiting a winner. It's like a couple of union guys, (laughs) you know what I mean? They know how things work. They know their alliances are sort of based on necessity, and they're not kind of willing to clock in <laughs> until the stakes are right, essentially. Right. They're waiting for a winner, really, is what it comes down to. Yeah, they're waiting to see which boss lady is going to be the real boss lady. Elspeth is holding her own with Ahsoka. She knocks one of her lightsabers in the water. Ahsoka pivots her remaining lightsaber into defense position, and then after a few final moves, Ahsoka finally knocks the Beskar spear to the ground and brings her saber to the magistrate's throat. Hearing the spear fall, Lang declares Din's side is one and begins to lay down his blaster rifle. But in classic Western style, he pulls a blaster from his boot to fire on Din, but he's too late. Fastest gun in the outer rim, Din Jaren. I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> blasts the mercenary before he can get a shot off. Din twirls his gun around his finger like a true gunslinger and holsters it. He hasn't done that yet, right? No, I think that was the first time. I don't remember him doing that. 
maybe in the first episode. I don't really remember. Wasn't this the first head-to-head in the street Western showdown, like tumbleweed blowing by? This like spot-on version, yeah. Has there been like a hand-off-the-holster vibe one yet? Uh, there was the thing in chapter nine with Cobb Vanth. Yeah, like in the cantina, though, not in the street. Right, right, right. Yep, yep, yeah. That w- that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, there was that. But this was like, this was a Clint Eastwood film from, you know, Fully. 1972, yeah. like straight up. We cut back to Ahsoka, lightsaber held to the magistrate's throat, and she asks again, where is your master? Then what? What'd she say then? And then she says, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? <laughs> Through the roof. Come on. An all-timer. Unreal. Dude, talk about, like, the list of things that just none of us were even just... That's what I'm saying. It's yeah, so that's... hardcore, over-the-top, only for fans. Yeah. like that they're, they're fully committed to it, and it's going to go deep. It's so rad. Like, I... Went, okay, so going back to Bo-Katan mentioning Ahsoka, I was just like, yes. You know, seeing Bo-Katan, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> seeing Ahsoka, yes. I was like, yes. But when she said, where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? I said, what the f-? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like, it was on a level so high and yeah, so yeah. deep in novels yeah. and rebels. You know, it's like the majority of people watching have to have no idea what she's talking about. Majority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did it anyways. Gives me a lot of hope for where this is all going. It was such a punctuated moment. That I guarantee everyone who doesn't know Thrawn was like, hold on, who is that? What have, what have I missed? You know, everyone went straight to Google. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I know you want to finish the synopsis. So I just would say that The Mandalorian has become such a pop culture thing that I think more than a lot of Star Wars, I can't say more than a, the films because I think the same thing happens when the films come out and everybody just goes. You just Everybody goes. It's Christmas and it's a Star Wars movie, right? But that's happening every week now. And there's millions of people watching this show because Baby Yoda, you know, and like that's a real thing. It's a cultural phenomenon. So that's why I say the majority. I think it would still even be a minority of viewers that like would Google Admiral Thrawn at the end of the show. I think it's such a pop culture hit now that there's this massive fan base watching it just like I want to watch Baby Yoda. Yeah. And like. I'm not mad at it because it's more people getting on board with Star Wars content, but I don't know. I just, I just think that it's a really bold move to go that deep on a show that is this popular and mainstream now. Yeah. It sucks that we won't really ever know. Like, none of these streaming services really give their streaming info, right? Like, we don't know how many people are watching this, really. They seem to only, at least Netflix, only sort of release things when they want to brag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's probably how it's going to work because... Even though they're all raking in cash, it's still, it, it's like a, a real world experiment in progress. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The, the very idea of, of streaming and return on investment because Netflix is just dumping tons of money into new content, building up their own library while all these other streaming services come out and pull stuff away. You know what I mean? It's just like, so I don't, I don't think we're going to get old school numbers for years, yeah. if ever. On October 30th, season two premiere of The Mandalorian drew 1.04 million households. Well. Marks an increase of 73% compared to the show's season one premiere. Damn. All right. 73%. Thanks, Drew. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. That's just... Mamie Yoda! That's what that is. 73%. All those people did not Google Thrawn at the end of the show. I I think (laughs) it's such a testament to how far they're willing to go for us now. Yeah. They're They're going for it, dude. But it is like for people that do want to get deeper who aren't full nerd level or who haven't been able to bring themselves to watch 
hundreds of episodes of a cartoon that are interested, they're kind of like Game of Thrones fans who aren't big fantasy fans. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, well, wait a minute. I know there's information out there. Who, who's the family member or friend I'm going to ask to find out who this person is or what's supposed to happen? So right. I think it's still engendering those kind of conversations and creating new enthusiasm, even if it isn't everyone. You know what I mean? I hope it's getting people psyched on the whole experience so that when the Cassian show comes out, when the Obi-Wan mini miniseries launches, when the other one we're going to talk about later on this show tonight launches, th- that you don't have to have a baby Yoda to hold down the fort, you know, because that's, right. yeah. that's the, the dice roll here. They're riding on this wave right now, and it's all high times, but... The child is the reason, dude. So the reason is... That just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> and the reason is the child. And the reason is Grogu. So <laughs> I, I, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, yet to be seen. But you know, you know what I'm getting at. Like, will, will, there, yeah. will that crossover happen? Will people initially be psyched and then be like, oh, this is too nerdy for me? You know, where, the re- where we are going to be like, if they keep it at this level, sans Grogu, we're going to be stoked no matter what. But right. it'll be interesting to see. That's my point. The next day... After this scene just closes with no real conclusion to the conversation, it's party time in the city. No more old, mean Elspeth. Everyone's got their party clothes on, the colorful banners, and all that shit are back out. The local that we met earlier is the new magistrate, or maybe the restored magistrate. We don't know. Ahsoka gives the best scar spear to Din. It's a great day. Din heads back to the Razor Crest to get Grogu and bring him to Ahsoka. His mission is seemingly complete. When Din gets to the ship, Grogu is sleeping as cutely as anything could possibly sleep, of course. (laughs) Din wakes him up and tells him it's time to say goodbye. It's a hell of a somber moment. Seems like some time passes here because when Din finally musters up the strength, emotional strength, to take Grogu to Ahsoka, he finds her waiting at the bottom of the ramp. She has come to him. I mean, bro, she can sense that shit. Yeah. She knows exactly what's going on. I can sense everything that's going on in that room. (laughs) (laughs) And my chest is really sweaty under here. It's pulsating. She says that Din is like a father to the child and she can't train him. Mando pushes back. You made me a promise and I held up my end. There is one more possibility. She says to take him to an ancient Jedi temple on the planet of Tython. Not a huge fan of that name. We'll deep cut there though. But where, where is it from? Where's Tython from? Um, it was in, I want to say it was in a game and then it was in, um, Afro comic. I didn't, I didn't read that. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was mentioned one other time, basically Vader and Afra were there together for some reason. It just, it's not said, I didn't know that it was a deep cut, like you said, but it's just not the best choice of letters and in order to make a name (laughs) to me. It sounds kind of like if someone was to make fun of me for liking sci-fi, that would be, they'd be like, oh, what, Planet Titan? (laughs) That's what it sounded like to me when they said it in the episode. It does sound a little bit like a planet from Galaxy Quest. Yeah, or bad old, old Star Trek, like 60s Star Trek. We're going to uh, invade the Tythonians. (laughs) Finn hates it. Yeah, he's out. Finn, we're not taking you to Tython, bro. (laughs) He left. He's no longer here. Drew says it's it's mostly all legends. Okay, so I don't feel bad about not knowing it. Set him on the seeing stone, and Grogu will choose his path on his own from there. If he reaches out with the Force while he's on the seeing stone, there's a chance that a Jedi will sense his presence and come searching for him. But there aren't many Jedi left, so... Can I get a cow, cow? (laughs) So we'll see. As Din carries Grogu back into the Razor Crest, Ahsoka smiles and nods at the child, as if saying goodbye through the Force. And the end. 
some amazing Star Wars right there. Yeah, they really yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> they Star Wars to me real good with that episode. I thought of that immediately when she talked about a Jedi. We'll, we'll find him. I don't know. My, my brain went Cal in my head. I don't know if that works out timeline wise and whatever else, but I don't see why not. I mean, dude, if they're ge- if they're going for it, you know, I mean, that dude needs a role somewhere in all of this, you know. I mean, the, I think the question is, do they capitalize on the massive gaming industry? Dude, they just made his lightsaber available for. St- it was a vote. I'm doing air quotes yeah. for those of you that can't see the Zoom call, but you can buy. You're going to be able to buy his lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge in, in Batu. So, it, dude, we love the, all of this, but let's not forget that it's the single greatest marketing machine on the planet, Disney. <laughs> yeah, obviously, this is total speculation. But who knows? I mean, there's something there, I think. There's a whole conversation to be had about who this could be, whether it's anyone or not. We, as you all know, try to avoid being too much of like a a theories podcast. So we'll probably leave that discussion out here. But we've been having it on our own in our our chat with some other friends and stuff. And it's... Yeah, we'll talk about it again when Cal's on the show. Yeah. (laughs) So I mentioned a couple scenes that we, we would talk about later. And then we'll just get deeper into our kind of reactions to everything the scene where Ahsoka tells Din about Grogu's life, the Force, and the Jedi. Like, I want to play the whole thing right now in the show. It was just so good. Dude. No one's going to be mad if you do that. He was raised at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the Temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. I've only known one other being like this. A wise Jedi master named Yoda. Can he still wield the Force? You mean his powers? The Force is what gives him his powers. It is an energy field created by all living things. To wield it takes a great deal of training and discipline. It's a very heavy, very heavy moment. You find out that he was on Coruscant being trained already by multiple masters, which is interesting. And then someone took him. So there's, hey, you want more storyline? There's more story. Yeah. Someone took him out of the temple and put him somewhere. So spin that off. We know that he was born the same year as Anakin. So he was there as a child training with little youngling Anakin, most likely. Because he was around the whole time. You know, he's, he's aging so slowly. He like, I'm sure tons of kids came through and grew up faster than him. So he was probably in contact with all of them. I wonder what kind of training. So, like, he could barely walk right now, and he's 50. So <laughs> if you rewind, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever it was, like, really, how much training could he do? It might have been, like, not youngling with lightsabers like we saw in the prequels. It might have been some other kind of training for, like, an even smaller and cuter Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, we can assume that he was in contact with Yoda and the whole council and everyone, you know, any little kid who spent that much time there would have made contact, right? With like all of them. Yeah. And the way she, first of all, 
the way the name drop happened was such good writing, Yeah, in my opinion. They didn't make a thing of it. It wasn't like, and his name is. Yep. <laughs> she said it so matter of fact that it made the name work. If there was any doubt about whether or not the name would work, the way she said it, that performance, her delivery, and the way it was written just sealed the deal, dude. I didn't flinch at all. It was like conversational. Yeah. She just said, you know, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Yeah, that's his name. To me, there's nothing, like people have been asking me, like, what do you think of the name? What do you think of the name? I'm like, it's just his name. I don't know. There's nothing they could have said there unless they were like, hey, his name's Nick. (laughs) <laughs> like, I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> like, I don't care what it is. It's, I'm glad he has a name now, but nothing would have surprised me unless it was Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and I can feel each other's thoughts. <laughs> and the way she mentions Yoda and Yoda's theme comes in. Ugh, break my heart. Just enough, you know? Mixed kind of with little bits of her theme, which we also heard earlier. Like, score was crushing right there. And the way, again, Rosario Dawson's delivery, like, she's such a good actor, such an underrated, underappreciated actor. After seeing this, I just realized I need to go back and watch everything she's ever done. Yeah, she's great. One of my one of my all time favorite films is Twenty uh, Fifth Hour, starring Ed Norton and her, uh, where he's Ed Norton's like about to go to prison for a long, long yes, time, yes. and he has twenty four hours left with her and his friends, and yeah. she's like his his uh, fiance or girlfriend, or whatever. But it's um her performance in that film is gnar. She's really good, man. I was very, very stoked on the news that she was going to be playing. And I have to say, appearance-wise, absolutely nailed. I mean, spot on. So good. There really was a vibe of that's what Ahsoka would look like when she was 50, you know, Mm -hmm. or 45 or whatever age, exact age she is here. It felt that way. And they they just shaped her face. The makeup was right on the way they they shaped her face and her lips and everything to look Mm -hmm. like the animated version. It was crazy. So sick. She also uses the exact same specific words as Obi-Wan, talking about the Force, describing what it is to Din. Yes, I noticed that. Because I love how she asks him if the child can wield the Force, and Din doesn't know what the hell the Force is, completely in the dark, and she goes on to tell him, and dude, they didn't even use the binary sunset. They didn't even use the Force theme, and it still nailed me in the heart just as hard as it would have otherwise, you know, when she dropped that line. Oh, man. Brilliant. Next scene that we didn't talk about in detail before, Ahsoka testing Grogu the next day. Again, just like such perfect Ahsoka attitude and vibe, such classic Star Wars vibe as well. I I don't know if if Rosario is just that big of a fan or if she just really did her homework or Filoni's writing and directing too. It just, it was perfect to me, like flawless. Yeah, I think that there was a a certain uh, heaviness to taking the role that Rosario took very seriously, especially, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but the fact that she must know that, you know, Ashley Eckstein is linked to Ahsoka and Rosario has to do the character justice, you know. Also, it's a big deal. Just like The Mandalorian needed to be a hit to make Disney Plus a thing and make Star Wars have a million shows, Bo-Katan needed a crush, Ahsoka needed a crush. Mm-hmm. for this to be a good idea. And I have absolutely no problems with any of it. I'm very stoked with how everyone looks, how everyone's acting, where the story's going. It's it's just so great. I love that, you know, what you would expect out of like a classic like training montage, we don't get here. We get something much deeper and heavier. The test doesn't go well, right? She levitates the rock to the child. He grabs it. She asks him to send it back, but he won't. He just drops it. And then when she calls Din over, 
to ask him. He's still not feeling it. He's, he's feeling the pressure. He's just not comfortable. And we, we kind of learn here, and, and she, she talks about it a little bit, that he's hidden his powers yeah. to survive over the years. So he's really only using them when he's tempted or when he's scared or angry, which she picks up on right away because Din offers that the knob thing and he grabs it right away because it's something he wants. Mm-hmm. He's completely emotionally motivated to use the force. So she's like, no, I can't do this. I can't train him. And she references Anakin. And again, it's such good writing. It's like some of Filoni's best writing. All the stuff that's said, all this exposition that just seeps up out of regular dialogue rather than it being a straight exposition monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, she's talking about how he's kind of, he's afraid, he's motivated by fear, all this kind of stuff. And Din's like, yeah, all the more reason he should be trained. And she's like, no. Yeah. Right. Her, again, performance, like she like kind of shudders in her voice. She's like, you're not cut out for this training if you have fear. Yeah, this isn't what you think it is. It's definitely crazy to me that, uh, yeah, he's 50. Yes, he's been trained, but he, from what we've seen in the show and obviously previously to the show, he understands the threat of other people wanting him or needing him for his powers or whatever. Like, he's he's smart enough to know that being a Jedi is a threat. Mm-hmm. People want him for that reason. Another thing here, I don't know, this this maybe could be a little bit more for a certain point of view, but obviously that line where she alludes to Anakin is badass. But going yeah. back to that point of people not being nerdy enough or, or, I'm sorry, people not knowing the Clone Wars or Rebels, they don't know that Ahsoka was Anakin's Padawan. So right. that line is super heavy if you know who Ahsoka is, but if you don't, then is that a little bit of a throwaway line? I think it doesn't hold the weight that it would with us, but the exposition that is there when she says, um, Mm -hmm. talks about, I've seen what this can do even to the best of us. Like that gets the point across of what, you know, that she's basically just that she has seen shit go down and has lived it, you know, and you get that from, I think that's what that dialogue needs to accomplish is this is scary shit. And it's not just levitating rocks, which is always the joke, you know, it's, it's more than that. (laughs) And, and I think she delivered the lines and made it heavy, you know, carried that weight and put that little nugget in there for us to be like, oh, well, we know. We know what she's seen. It's really great. It's good writing to be able to accomplish both things. As you said, Adam, it's some of his best writing for sure. Carrying on with the great writing, the dual duel in the city where Ahsoka's facing off against the magistrate and then Din and the mercenary are waiting outside the way they cut between those two in like the fullest cowboy samurai vibes they've done yet. Absolutely. It's so perfectly paced and the tension is so hot and heavy. And it's just like missing. Yeah. Like that. That's it. <laughs> Man, it, it's hard to pull off something like that. I, I'm thinking about like on the page writing those two scenarios happening at the same time. That's hard. And then to direct it, and cut it the way they did, again, flawless. And they're doing that thing, like we talked about a little bit earlier, They, since ultimately they're both like hired guns in their own different ways, Din and, and the mercenary, they have this like mutual respect that includes, hey, I'm going to have to kill you if that's what I have to do yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like no no hard feelings. No, there's no, It's not personal. Like they're there for business and they're not going to do anything until it's business time. It's a masterclass, dude. It's amazing. Lang has a really cool line there. And it, it, he says something along the lines of uh, him and Din are both willing to stand up for what they think is right. 
And then mm-hmm. he goes on to say like, but this ain't it. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a cool line. Great character given his limited dialogue. Mm-hmm. Great performance helps it as well. Um, overall though, before we get into a certain point of view, any other thoughts like about the episode? Yeah, I was going to say, I meant to say when we were talking about Ahsoka revealing her past with the Jedi and saying that Grogu has too much fear in him to train and all that. You guys mentioned to me a long time ago, once you've watched Clone Wars, Anakin will change for you. You all know how I feel about what should have been one of the most legendary roles of all time by anyone written or played. But seeing the evolution of the character over seven seasons changes things. It changes things. And knowing what she's been through with him, those lines were like, I mean, dude, I'm like, yeah, I am full on emo right now. (laughs) My eyes are welling with tears thinking about their journey together and what she said in this episode about it. Yeah. Like the line you texted me from season five. Oh dude, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Dude, just. uh. And then this talking about, I've seen what it can do to the best of us. I mean, it was just so the fact that I watched the final arc of the end of Clone Wars directly into this episode of Mandalorian without stopping, like straight through the imagery of Ahsoka standing over all the clone graves and all that stuff was so present in my mind that I think I had a different experience than anyone Unless you did it that way. So if any of you out there did that, you know what I'm talking about. But if you didn't, it was a whole different thing, man, to watch and hear and see her. Like, I know Rosario Dawson's craft is at a very high level. So she did a lot of preparation for this role. And that meant living with Ahsoka and living with Ashley's performance of Ahsoka. And, you know, really digging in and learning the character through having it there it's like she didn't have to build the character for herself she had to build the tarnished scarred bitter disenfranchised 30 years later version of the character but mm-hmm. based on all of this real world research she could yeah. do and so i was watching her performance as a once you know someone who loved doing theater and acting for most of my the first half of my life i was watching for that and and it was there and so the fact that i had just seen Ahsoka's whole story unfold right before I saw a version of her 30 years later. I just really saw the work that Rosario Dawson did because I had watched Ashley's final performance right before it. And that wasn't even what I was trying to originally say. I was trying to say that seeing Anakin gave so much weight to what she said. And I'm sure going forward, everything I watch, it's going to be different now that I know what Anakin's full journey was like but yeah it was awesome man it was really amazing to watch it that way i i I would advise anyone out there if you haven't seen clone wars yet obviously don't skip to the end but if you have and you whatever go back and do what i just did watch episodes 9 through 12 of the final season of clone wars directly into chapter 13 this is the way (laughs) yes i think ultimately the greatest accomplishment of the clone wars is like we've said before now you're seeing it Great character development for Anakin, but that doesn't happen without Ahsoka. Right. So introducing Ahsoka to kind of level him off and and show a side to him that is a good guy, you know, like someone who has 
I mean, I get the, the best way to put it is character development. Because Ahsoka is his Padawan, they have a relationship and you see a side in Anakin that you don't get from the prequels. So it makes the prequels a little bit easier to, to swallow for sure. Uh, take everything you guys said and copy and paste it into my mouth. And that's <laughs> what I think. Overall on this episode, though, a couple things. This is a long one. It is what it is. Uh, before we get to a certain point of view, did uh, how quickly Ahsoka showed up in this episode, did it throw you a little bit, you guys? No. I loved it. I was so there for it. Once I knew it was happening, I was just like, oh, oh, my, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't bummed, but I, I wasn't ready is what I was saying. Imagine they're opening an, a third full-size ride at Galaxy's Edge. And you show up at Disneyland or Disney World, you walk back to Batu, and you don't have to wait in line. Yeah. You just show up there. Yeah. It's fully packed. It's fully crowded on a normal summer day. You know, there's thousands of people there. But it's like you get there and they're just like, oh, the brand new adventure thrill ride in, in Galaxy's Edge. Here you are, Mr. Russell. Please, here's your seat. Step right up. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, it's great. And I think, I think the way that they, Dave, wait, hold on. Dave Filoni. <laughs> Gotta put the cowboy hat on. Holy Filoni! <laughs> I think when having Filoni obviously write and direct it really is so key to it, Ahsoka's introduction, but they had to give Ahsoka a certain amount of like gravitas to make the whole 12 chapters previous to this worth it. Yeah. The child needs to get to a Force-sensitive Jedi, and it can't just be some rinky-dink Jedi. They had to make... Ahsoka for the people who don't know who she is, badass and worth potentially dropping off Grogu with her. So I think they did a really good job of showing how badass she is and how important she is. Agreed. I think I just wasn't emotionally ready to see her because the expectation, the cliche kind of like cinema trope is to just leave you in suspense the whole time. You know, I'm thinking Force Awakens ending. You know, it's a slow motion turn, a drawback of the hood. But nope, it's like, we're in. She's here. She's fucking here, you know, right out of the gate. That and just her name drop, those two things were the inverse. They flew completely in the face of what I would have expected based on kind of cinema tropes that are built in to these like high budget blockbuster kind of things. It's like, we're telling you that she's coming and then we're opening the episode with her face in 20 seconds. You know what I mean? Well, I was expecting the usual Mando and Grogu cruising through space on their way to her yeah to open the show the, the I, I wasn't expecting it but again my viewing experience the way that it went that night watching it all you know the finale of clone wars there was i was just like i was already a mess i mean my, like <laughs> yeah. i was so emotional about all of it and and i really i i mean i didn't love all of clone wars not because it's not amazing just because it's a cartoon and i, I like i struggle watching any kind of 30 minute long episodic like comedy. I struggle watching that kind of stuff. Not that the Clone Wars is comedy, but it's a cartoon and there's a lot of adventure of the week kind of stuff going on. And yeah. a lot of it, I just didn't, I, it's safe to say I like didn't enjoy it. You know, I wasn't like involved in the story, but dude, the individual arcs, when you pull them out that matter, they really matter. And the finale was so gnarly and not cartoon at all. It was a film. It was a Star Wars film. Fully cinematic. With, with Tarkin and the trial. And the, it was a full-on film, dude. It was so gnarly. There was no antic, gimmicky, comic book, cartoon stuff in any of those final episodes. So 
I was already there, dude. I was like, when it when it started, I was so high on Star Wars yeah. that like I was grinding my teeth, yeah. you know. And and then she showed up. I don't know. It was just man. It was that's why. And by the way, that's why I said, couldn't you see? You know, her head in, in, in the hood, you could tell it was her in the dark. Yeah. And you were like, it was really yeah, yeah. quick though. But I think I was so hyper-focused at that time that I was rolling right out of one episode and then she had a hood on at the end of, you know, the series kind of too. And it was like, it just yeah, yeah. melded those two scenes like right together. Yeah. So sick. I mean, I, I definitely had a like not so dissimilar feeling when six, seven years ago, you know, a buddy of mine was like, you really got to watch the Clone Wars. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll watch the Clone Wars. And it's just, it's hard to get through, especially at the top of it. Yeah. So definitely just as a non-gatekeeper-y of Star Wars podcasts, like if you need to just look up the, you know, the most important arcs or whatever it is, just do that. You know, not everybody, especially. That's what I did. Full, full disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. I, I'm a podcast host and I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't matter. And that, yeah. that we talk about all the time on the show is for kids to watch. It's mm-hmm. a cartoon and yeah. Star Wars is for kids. We're just, we're just 40 year old kids. Yeah. And I love that about yeah. us. Hell yeah. But there's a lot in there that, you know, my nephew would be psyched to watch. And then there's a lot of it that he couldn't watch because he would cry yeah. and have nightmares. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah. It definitely focuses into a little bit more of an adult oh, thing yeah. as the seasons go on. Grows up. When Maul starts to really become a part of it, you know, and it, it, people just start getting murdered. It's it's just sick. And, and I, God, I can't recommend it enough, you guys, to watch the final episodes of season seven clone wars straight into this chapter of mandalorian can't recommend enough and as cinematic as those were coming into this being i would say the most cinematic of all these chapters yeah this was mentioned somewhere else so i can't take credit for it but it really does feel like a feature length film edited down to a tv episode length piece yeah and kind of leaving out you know side arcs or whatever the pace of it the the vibe the look everything is it's pure straight kung fu samurai western cinema and it's it's Filoni's like it's some of his best work it's hard to say it's his absolute best because there's so much in Clone Wars that I I would put right up against it but damn dude I loved it I loved every damn second if you really think about it this is only his third live action thing that he's directed and yeah for me somehow chapter one was better than chapter five so I feel like by chapter five he should have been improved on chapter one, but I guess there was just so much story in chapter one that dropped that it was a little bit more smooth of an episode. Chapter five was definitely, I think, my least favorite of of season one. And you have to imagine chapter one, Favreau was probably right over his shoulder Uh, the entire time. Yeah, good point. You know, there's this by no means was, you know, a masterclass in directing, but he's improving. It's his third time directing, and I, I'm sure him being in his wheelhouse with having to present a live-action Ahsoka to the world, you know, motivated him. But, I mean, he's he's improving. It's Hell yeah. Speaking of things that people may or may not be fully pleased with. Or need to improve. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Hey, everybody. It's your bitter old bastard over here coming at you with a certain point of view. <laughs> So I saw some stuff about this online, I think. Ahsoka's leku, her head tails, are a little short compared to when we last saw them in Rebels. But we know that practicality is the reason for that, meaning character movement and stunts and all of that. But I think I saw some stuff online where like people legitimately were flipping out about this. The continuity police were furious. 
I just can't. Yeah. I just can't, dude. Shut up. It's, yeah, just shut. Yeah. It's just silly. The f- up. <laughs> I mean, I I like the look of them being really long. I think it definitely does show age and wisdom, kind of in a way. But it's not a deal breaker that they aren't <laughs> just as long as they dude, were. In it was the last thing on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Was honestly, and I think that I, I like that was cool to watch it. Look at thinking back on my mindset watching chapter thirteen. I didn't think about it at all. I was impressed by her f- actual face and mm-hmm. and how I really envisioned that being a thirty years older Ahsoka. I was like, wow, that is nailed. But but other than that, like I I couldn't imagine myself being like, oh nope, those are four inches too short. <laughs> yeah, like, like, unreal, dude. I did I did notice it, but not a deal breaker. Like I noticed it and was just like that. It, I don't care. You know, like it's not a big deal. I did think they looked different Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't seen Rebels. So talk about not gatekeeping Star Wars. I'm a host on the show and I haven't even, I haven't seen Rebels. So there you go. What credentials do I have? (laughs) But uh, I I noticed them being different than what I have seen in Clone Wars. What I noticed was not necessarily the length as much as the blue color on the bottom of them Mm -hmm. seemed a, a lot shorter in the live action version. Yeah. You know, I noticed that. And then I carried on living my life and watching one of the best yeah. 40 minutes of <laughs> Star Wars I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, um, fully. Yeah. So we have, a, we have a tweet here from um, Brian Mattias, M-A-T-Y-A-S. I hope I said that right, bud. Mattias? Mattias, maybe. Please forgive. Refer, he's, he's a design artist for Lucasfilm, and uh, he said, Yeah, pretty much that was the chief concern. From animation to live action, I did a ton of design exploration for her and their appropriate size for the actor with consideration for stunts and movement. I'm sure I'll get to discuss at greater length in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to believe he was saying like, <laughs> I can't wait for everybody to yeah. freaking lose their mind because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the Leku are six inches too short. <laughs> well, Filoni mentions, you know, and kind of echoes that sentiment in the Vanity Fair uh, interview too. And so much of this is adapting animation to live action you know these things aren't necessarily important or actually like probable or like they technically don't even really matter you know like yeah somebody at lucasfilm or dave filoni or someone didn't screw up because they're short it happened for a reason like people really <laughs> yeah. need to like calm down it's and just it's wild what it's that, that don't is... let that stuff like occupy your brain like i Again, I'm a nerd. I noticed it, but I didn't ruin things for me. <laughs> Same. I did. I definitely noticed it. We should just tell everyone out there, I'm not talking shit to you. I'm, I'm telling you honestly, you will enjoy your time here on Earth, the limited time that you have to enjoy Star Wars and other things in your life that make you happy. You'll just be better if you don't worry about how long Ahsoka's <laughs> Leku are. Like. <laughs> yeah. You, you'll just be happier with your time here. Like, yeah. think about all the things in this episode that were so amazing and fulfilling and made you feel like you were 10 years old again. And you're going to go online and tweet some shit about all the people who worked their ass off to make it happen for you because it didn't look the way it looked in a cartoon. <laughs> a cartoon. All right. I just a cartoon kicking that soapbox to the side and moving on real quick, though. I'm wondering if they're going to do any because I already have some like headcanon about this maybe they shed those every several years and they kind of grow back and over time they grow longer you know i mean i get a haircut every few weeks 
Yeah. Maybe they're like orcas if they're stressed in captivity or something. The fin is a little droopy. Maybe those things are a little tightened up when they're a little... I mean, there's any number of things that you could throw into the canon that would make this make sense for live action. And then you just look at the cartoon as like a stylized thing. Yeah. There's some great artists, like 3D sculptors and things like that, that take animation characters and make (laughs) lifelike versions of them in 3D um, sculpting programs, like Beavis and Butthead or like Simpsons characters. Oh, Homer Simpson. And they all look (laughs) ridiculous because nothing in animation is proportioned right. All the (laughs) jawlines and the beards and everything in in Clone Wars, it's not going to look like that in real life. Let's get over it. It was a cartoon. Get over it. I think a good comparison is... Think about Solo for a second. You're going to be bummed if you think that Alden should be Harrison, but Alden shouldn't be Harrison. Alden is Han. So think about Rosario Dawson is not supposed to be Ashley Eckstein. Rosario Dawson is supposed to be Ahsoka. And this is what live action Ahsoka is. We're not here to cosplay. We're not here to do impersonations. We're here to like have a, an actual actor portray a character. And honestly, it exceeded my expectations. I thought she did great. Same. Same. Moving on. What the hell happened to Elspeth? Yeah. Where did she go? We're going to find out. Like, as you said, synopsis. It was a party the next day. Yeah. yeah. We're free. Where is she? She's around. She's, but what no happened way. at the end of the fight? Yeah. Who knows? I think it was kind of cool that they just skipped it. She sure as shit didn't just tell her where Thrawn is. Yeah. And they made the other dude magistrate, so. It all leads into these next couple of points yeah. on this week's list. Why is this episode called The Jedi if Ahsoka left the Jedi Order? She said it herself, I am no Jedi. Well, duh. Because, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be looking at an Ahsoka series. Or at least mini-series. Don't you guys think? Yeah. I hope so, man. Wouldn't you say, well, definitely this season, but maybe even next season, like, for a while, if she's going to come back on The Mandalorian, it wouldn't be for a while. And, like, maybe she won't come back on the show. That this was... An introduction of a big-time actor playing a big-time character to just let everyone see it and go, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the potential there for a show or a series or what, it's just endless, dude. It's limitless. Like, And they wouldn't have dropped Thrawn if right. it wasn't like, okay, well, now we're going to go follow Ahsoka on her mission to find Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, you know, potential for, to me, to me, there's three obvious choices for whatever Jedi might come if Grogu's reaching out with the Force. You said Cal. That's for sure a possibility. The last time you saw Thrawn was in Rebels, and he's directly tied to Ezra Bridger. So that's the only other Jedi you could think of. Besides the best one and the best option, but also the hardest one to pull off is Luke Skywalker. So I'm here for whatever explanation they give, as long as it makes sense and it's executed right. It has to be like the best reason ever if we don't see Luke in this. Yeah. And like, I know that that's going to be hard and it's going to cost money if you have to de-age him or whatever. But if you have like the ultimate Jedi putting together a new Jedi order in the galaxy right now, how doesn't Luke show up? Yeah. I don't even. <laughs> if you have a reason for him to not show up, then cool. I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. But that's huge to me. And why I kind of almost am like, they got to do it somehow. When Ahsoka mentions the Jedi Temple on Tython, you get two notes, maybe three, but I think I only hear two notes of Luke's theme, like the Force theme there. So yeah, it's the Force theme, but it's also Luke's theme, Yeah, you know? So uh, that's just, that's such a... Binary sunset. I hadn't even thought about that at all. And now... Dude, the timing. I won't have it any other way. 
But back to the question of why why Ahsoka? This is called the the Jedi. Mm-hmm. If she's not a Jedi, and and why of all the Jedi or a new Jedi that they could have introduced, why Ahsoka? The question of whether or not she's a Jedi and whether or not that's an appropriate title to the rest of the galaxy, the non Jedi, she's a Jedi as far as they're concerned. Yeah, totally. She didn't technically reach the rank of Jedi. Uh, just like Anakin didn't get the rank of master, but it's all they had to do. She, we, we wouldn't be here. She's for all intents and purposes. She is a Jedi. And, and also I feel like Filoni mentioned this. Ashley Eckstein says this anytime she talks about Ahsoka, she, despite having been ousted from the Jedi order and then rejected it once she was asked to come back, she embodies everything that a true Jedi should be. So if anything, she's like the encyclopedia entry on what a Jedi is, as far as I'm concerned. In other words, not the Jedi, the Jedi. The all caps, yeah. And then why Ahsoka, the question, you know, it could be any Jedi. Why are they bringing her in here? Is it just like a a money move because they're going to do a spinoff? They're trying to set her up? Maybe, but also you follow like the logic. If a Mandalorian is trying to find other Mandalorians, they're going to bring in Bo-Katan. It's the only thing that makes sense really, to truly, like, know real Mandalorians. Boba Fett wasn't a real one, so it's got to be Bo-Katan or Sabine Wren. Either way, that leads to Ahsoka. So if he's trying to find other Mandalorians to help him find the Jedi to take the kid, it's going to be Ahsoka. There's, like, no fewer degrees of separation from the Jedi than that those paths. So, yeah, of course it's Ahsoka. Yeah. I just think, you know, step outside of the, the galaxy for a second. Like, you have these fully like fleshed out characters who people love that you could only make better as long as you execute it, right? So this is like the Marvel universe, the MCUization of Star Wars. And that's amazing. That's so cool. If we get that all on multiple series and who knows, like maybe these series turn into such a huge success, which, you know, this one already is, that they turn into that's where Star Wars is going in the next five, six, seven, eight years where they wind up on the big screen if we ever get to go to movies again. (laughs) (laughs) If there are any theaters still open when this is over. Right. That's the issue. But obviously, the only benefit to that is seeing it on a bigger screen with getting the vibe of being around people. We're getting very close to cinematic television right now. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I hope it's not just a marketing money machine thing to do it, but I also hope that it happens. And I, I hope yeah. that we didn't go through this emotional roller coaster of experiencing her in live action to then not get more of it. But I don't think having more of it on The Mandalorian is the right thing. Yeah. And I think they clearly set up her own path for her in this episode. Mm-hmm. She's on a mission. She started the episode on a mission. She ended it on a mission. Will we get to see that mission or not? I don't know, but I hope so. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Thanks, Charlie. Nick, take us into the den of antiquities. <laughs> Welcome to the den of antiquities. All right. So one thing that I noticed on my whatever second or third viewing was when the Razor Crest is pulling into uh, the planet here, you do see actual forest fire lines because when he lands and you're within this like foggy, ashy mist that Ahsoka's uh, dipping in and out of, that's what that is. The the magistrate Elsbeth is charring the land slash and burn just literally burning the whole place so you you do see that uh that cool little detail at the top of the show where you could see massive like as if like 
the East Coast to the Midwest was on fire. Like that's a, that's the expanse of what you see as the Razor Crest is uh, pulling into the planet, which is pretty nuts. You know, if if you were looking at it and it was like Mustafar or something, you would think it was lava, but it's actually just forest fires. Kind of crazy. That lady sucks. <laughs> So thematically speaking, in, in in music sense, Ludwig uses a Soka's theme, which is very, very cool. And it's, it's... Right off the top. Yeah, it's not the most memorable theme of all the themes out there, but I like the leitmotif of just having, you know, a Soka's theme show up. And it is such a somber theme, too. It was, yeah. like, perfect in the landscape and the vibe. Yeah. He's really good at his job. Yeah. And, you know, just to tie in with the leitmotif, when she mentions Yoda, you get those two or three notes of Yoda's theme. And then the same thing, like when she mentioned the Jedi Temple, you get the Force theme there. So just exactly enough for you to get those feelings, you know? It's literally two or three notes and you get all the feelings, which is great instead of having it like just be exactly the theme, just ham-fisted through, you know? Yeah, hitting you over the head with it, yeah. So it's just really well done. Because I, I think although we're we're falling back into some Star Wars characters and stories that are in the Clone Wars and stuff, we're, we're still far away from the overall major Skywalker saga. So I think that they're still trying to forge new ground right now. So I think Ludwig and Filoni and Favreau, they're, they're, they're just trying to create new things with the soundtrack, just alluding to these things, the alluding to Yoda and possibly alluding to, to Luke. I think it's very tastefully done, which is great. Classy. One little uh, nerdy thing at the top of the chapter two, one of the scout guards that's like on top of the gate there is tracking the Razor Crest landing, like kind of similar to, uh, it might've also been a new hope. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's in a new hope. But one of the rebels just holding up that kind of like scanner gun, like yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, like a cop with the speedometer or what do you call it? Radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A cop with a radar gun. <laughs> And we did mention also at the top of this podcast, uh, Wing Tao Cho is not an actor. He has no acting credentials whatsoever. He's just a former Disney Imagineer and someone who helped launch like multiple parks and cruise ships and all this stuff. Uh, I really, I hope the story comes out of how he wound up being in there. Like, I wonder who brought him into the fold there. Because honestly... I think he crushed it. He was really good. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude, he's not an actor on paper, but that he, dude is an actor. He yeah. really he summed it. up that village, that town in his lines, you know, yeah. the pain, the pain they were going through. He was really good. Yeah. While Din's walking into that town, there's that 8D series droid, like that, uh, the droid that's in Jabba's palace, kind of like marking the droids. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, that yeah. similar droid. Yeah, yeah. I don't assume it's the same one or anything like that, but it's definitely the same kind of droid. Speaking of droids. Yeah, another big droid thing, and I did not find this. Mike from Hondo Supply sent this to us on uh, Instagram, but the uh, HK87 droid, which is, uh, I guess, a newer version of the HK47 droid. There's one scene where it's super dark, and if you turn your brightness up or you turn the brightness up on this one scene where you could really see the side of this droid's logo, you see the insignia for Thrawn's seventh fleet. That was a really early on. You really can't see it if you're unless you have your brightness like all the way up. Like I don't even know if you need to screenshot it and then turn like go into Photoshop and turn it up. You really can't see it. Yeah. So there was there was an early indication that Thrawn was afoot. And that those droids were in what game? Shadows of the Empire or some kind of shit like that? I definitely do not know. The insignia is definitely there. Drew just sent it. In yeah, a yeah. Super bright screenshot. Either way, they're from a game that's now Legends. That is next level nerd. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm here for it. That's like lost Dharma logo on the polar bear level. <laughs> yeah. One thing I did notice right away, again, very, very subtle, but 
If you don't know who Morai is, cool, there's an owl on that branch. If you know who Morai is, you know Din is about to see Ahsoka, and it's just so rad. Some people are like, I don't know if it's Morai, it's not like the right colors. I'm like, you have to understand that we went from animation to live action. Calm down. And dude, you don't put an owl in there right before you're about to meet Ahsoka that turns its head, that (laughs) says, hey guys, I am an owl. Yeah. For no reason yeah. in Star Wars. And the last time, not chronologically, but the last time that we just saw Ahsoka in the series finale of Clone Wars, Morai's circling the sky on top of Ahsoka. Like, Yeah, she's there. If you see an owl near Ahsoka, that's Morai. A uh, little throwback when Din shoots his grappling line and ties up Ahsoka, very similar to Luke and Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi in the skiff. Straight up, <laughs> side by side. Yeah, I really do appreciate uh, Filoni. Hold on, Filoni, gotta get the cowboy hat. Uh, I really do appreciate Filoni's uh, Easter eggs from Return of the Jedi. I feel like they're plentiful. Drew just confirmed the assassin droids were from the Knights of the Old Republic. Okay. So, beloved, now Legends stuff. The assassin droids were HK-47 in Knights of the Old Republic. Word. And these are HK-87s. A bunch of stuff we talked about, too. You know, lifting stones is a first lesson for... I don't think we saw Anakin lift stones as a first lesson, but we did see Luke on Dagobah lifting stones. We did see Rey getting topped by Luke lifting stones, and now you have Ahsoka asking uh, Grogu to lift stones. So it's, it seems like it's a very uh, beginner lesson to becoming a Jedi. It's like, hey, can you lift this stone or what, bud? Moving rocks. <laughs> Back to basics. Yep. Very small rocks. Din not knowing a Jedi from anything doesn't say lightsabers, says laser swords. So yeah. we're starting to get that laser swords, which is also what George Lucas calls them. Uh, <laughs> we're starting to get laser swords become more common as, as what lightsabers are referred to. What else do we have here? There was a, a, a one freaked out Loth cat. So that's kind of a, another allusion to rebels and gets people thinking that maybe... If you see a Lothcat and you think about Rebels, maybe that means Ezra is the Jedi that Ahsoka mentions might show up. Two shots of the Lothcat as well. Yeah. And Lothcat was originally in, uh, not originally, but in The Mandalorian for the first time in Chapter 4. So this is our second time seeing Lothcats. Yeah. There was some super Obi-Wan vibes when it came to Ahsoka twice. And they both were when she was about to face off with Elspeth. She drops her robe like Obi-Wan did. Very sick. And then they kind of pace a little bit like Obi-Wan and Maul yeah, yeah. in Phantom Menace. They kind of do that kind of... There wasn't as much space, so you didn't really get it, but they were kind of like pacing back, waiting to face off, which I thought was very uh, Duel of the Fates, Phantom Menace type of thing. Yeah, the choreography of that duel was, I'm sure, just as fully Asian cinema, Kurosawa-inspired mm-hmm. as this. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And coming up on the end of the episode, Ahsoka you know, tells Din to bring Grogu to Tython, Old Jedi Temple... I did not finish all of the Afra comics, so I did not get to uh, the point where Afra brings Vader to Tython to this temple. So I'm going to do that pretty soon because that sounds awesome and sounds like knowledge I need to know. But I'm stoked to see uh, a new Jedi temple. One thing, too, and I really don't think it means anything, and this will be the last thing, because you have to go into the concept art, like the closing credits, the concept art. When you see starring Pedro Pascal, you see Elsbeth's like quarters, like her whole little area there. If you pause it on that all the way to the left, all the way to the left, there's an astromech droid and it's not red. It's not black or green. It's white and silver, maybe blue. Very strange. Very, very strange that we didn't see that in the actual show, but in the concept art is an R2 unit. There's an astromech. So who the hell knows? It's just concept art, but pretty cool. Speaking of her, did we mention that 
Elspeth's homeworld is Dathomir. I've, I'm reading it for the first time right now. That's very sick because I didn't know anyone. Yeah, I didn't know there was anyone other than Night Sisters from there. Yeah, I mean, obviously she's not Night Sister, but I, I don't know. They're witches, though. Dude, maybe she is. She could be and could have like changed form, but that would explain her training in Donatello bow staff <laughs> yeah. warfare. Yeah, you know. Last thing in the den of antiquities, I did some reading. And found out some awesome stuff on Diana Lee Inosanto, who played Elspeth. So she's an American actress, director, writer, martial artist, stuntwoman, children's book author as well. She is, get this shit, the daughter of Dan Inosanto, who trained with Bruce Lee. And she is the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was her godfather. So the name Lee, which she took to her name, is from Bruce Lee. Wow. Very cool. Her father, after Bruce Lee died, established a martial arts school in Torrance, California, where she grew up exposed to everything. Asian, European weaponry, empty hand systems, Filipino martial arts, all grounded in the philosophy of Jun Fan Jeet Kune Do, which was Bruce Lee's particular brand of Jeet Kune Do. That was her life. She grew up in that. And then over the years, she went on to study Western boxing, Thai boxing, Muay Thai, Indonesian salat, French savate, shoot wrestling, European swordplay, wushu, just I, like everything. She's the most like full mixed martial artist. She will kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She will kill dead. you dead. And she also, from the very beginning, uh, as a young child, studied dance, theater, went on to study improv, spent time at the Upright Citizens Brigade Training Center. Whoa. Super well-rounded. She's been a stunt choreographer and trainer of martial arts for actors, kind of an advisor kind of thing, earning the nickname Sensei to the Stars. That's a cool nickname. Yeah. It's cooler than Bill. (laughs) (laughs) She trained Melissa McCarthy for the movie Spy, uh, Rosa Salazar for Alita Battle Angel, somebody for Lucifer, Shadowhunters, I Frankenstein, she trained Aaron Eckhart, and a bunch of others. She... Got her big break, though, as a stunt woman in the movie Barb Wire. Pamela Anderson, that remember oh, this yeah, movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible movie. But that was her first big stunt woman moment. And it was a role that was supposed to be a man, but she caught someone's eye and was like, no, let's bring this chick in. She's amazing. And she did a scene with, featuring, I don't know if anyone remembers who was in this movie, Tamara Morrison. Whoa. I've never seen that movie. Yeah, can't say that was really my thing. <laughs> Barbed wire. I saw it when it came out because I was obsessed with Pamela Anderson in the early 90s. I wasn't. She, she was always too like too much for my vibe. It was like <laughs> she is a lot. overload. Like, whoa. But Tamara Morrison was like the co-star. He was like one of her like right-hand dudes in the movie. Whoa. Point being, Diana Lee Inosanto was in the scene and that kind of like blew it up for her. So she went on to work on Face Off, Blade, Wild Wild West, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She did a ton of episodes on that. Hulk, Star Trek Enterprise. She's been in a lot of stuff. And in 2010, she actually wrote, directed, and starred in her own independent film called The Sensei, which was one of the earliest fully digital releases distributed on Netflix and iTunes. So long, awesome career. That's rad. I definitely, I, I appreciate, I mean, who you have Gina Carano, who's more of a, an action person than an actress or an actor. And then you have her, who's the same thing. Is there anyone else that I'm missing that I'm thinking? Oh, well, Sasha Banks, yep. same thing. You know, like these kind of like action people who, you know, could do the stunts and, and take on the physicality. That's their way into Star Wars, not necessarily their acting chops, which uh, I could I could hang. And then this woman turns out to be awesome. Yeah, she's great. I thought all of her line readings and her delivery in general was great. Oh, shoot. Maybe he put her in Carbonite. How about that? 
Everyone goes in carbonite. If you don't know what's going on, where the person went, they're, <laughs> they're in, carbonite. in carbonite. Yep. Or she's in one of those those Mandalorian oh, like, yeah. single prison cells. Yeah. Mobile uh, prison cells ugh. that they put Maul in. That gave me anxiety. Yeah. All right. Moving on. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes, the goodest of the good. We've got some honorable mentions here. It was really hard to narrow it down to five each scenes and quotes, but we did because that's the way it works. My favorite scene was for sure the opening scene. Just from sheer joy of how epic Star Wars is. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, there's a lot of meat on the bones for this episode, but... After the intro, you know, I was just watching it and like taking it in like, oh, this is information. It was a lot of information, like learning the child's name. And it was a lot to kind of process after that first fight scene. So the first fight scene was just like raw, unadulterated, like joy. Yeah. From the moment you saw her in that hood. So that was my favorite scene for sure. And my favorite quote goes like this. The force is what gives him his powers. It is an energy field created by all living things. To wield it takes a great deal of training and discipline. That was my favorite quote. Straight off Obi-Wan's page. Yeah. Oh, that was heavy, dude. Just hearing that stuff anytime when any of them say yeah. it, it, it works. It brings you back to what this is all about, you know? And it's been a while. I mean, The Mandalorian has been amazing and action-packed and story-packed, but it's been a minute since something has really brought you back to the core of the values that Star Wars is built on. The Force and the Jedi. Like, it's been a minute. We always talk about that, right? Like, how the films, they can do them without Jedi, but we want to see that. Totally. We, we want yeah. a lightsaber in every movie. So, it's been a minute, and this was such a big moment to do it. I just thought it was so epic, and hearing her say those words, created by all living things. It's such a great parallel to Obi-Wan and Luke in A New Hope, because... Think about everybody we know who comes across a Jedi or the Force. Even Rey, after the fall of the Empire, Rey knew of Luke Skywalker. Rey knew of the Force. She knew it existed. Din Djarin literally doesn't know what a Jedi is or right. the Force or anything like that. That's what happens when you're in a cult, dog. Yeah. But also, that's what Obi-Wan in A New Hope had to explain the very base level of what the Force is to Luke because he had no clue. So here you have Ahsoka taking on that role of Obi-Wan, telling Din Djarin... The very base level, here's what the force is. Here's how it works. So we don't really come across people who just straight up don't know what it is. And Luke was one of them in, in New Hope. And now we have Din Djarin. So it really was a great parallel. Besides just the actual words she used, it's an exact parallel to how else would you explain something to someone in a simple way who literally don't know what you're talking about. And as an actor, what a beautifully delivered, truthful line read by her. Nothing about it to me sounded like fan service read off a page it was so emotionally real to me she just like fully owned it made it her own like it was his obi-wan's exact words but delivered from her heart it was i was just so impressed there wasn't a single moment ever where i was taken out of it it's like i was fully aware that it it was what obi-wan said but it didn't pull me out of it you know what i mean yeah fully sold Think about this. So we're, we're the episode before this, we're getting back into M count, midichlorians possibly. But then you have Ahsoka in this one just being like, it's all living things, baby. Yep. You know, so it's like- Poetry. I know that they're kind of, you know, one in the same and maybe some people, I guess people with higher 
midichlorians can wield the force and become Jedi more. But that's not saying, like you guys say, maybe Han had like a C-grade yeah. midichlorian count, you know? I mean, like, he was a hell of a pilot. <laughs> exactly. So if it's all living things, then it's all living things. It's not. And, and just the, the the people who have more midichlorian plentiful blood, if they're trained, get to become Jedi. Going back to um, things that did not pull me out of the experience, I meant to say this earlier. Not once, not for a second, the entire episode. You never did I paid n- for drugs. <laughs> not once. <laughs> Sorry. Not once, not ever. Nope. Whose chair was that? Um, not for a second did I notice or pay attention to or, or was distracted by the volume. Not a single shot in that whole yeah, thing. Agreed. It, but do you find yourself thinking about it also? It's like subconsciously and uh, I think I've made, I've used this one before on the show. It's like arching your back and keeping it straight at the same time. <laughs> like subconsciously you're aware of the volume at the same time that you're consciously blown away by it while watching it. You know what I mean? Some of the other episodes I've been exactly that, but this is the first one now having learned what it is. Where I, I swear not for a single second, what did it even, it, it just didn't exist. I was fully immersed in these places. I guess I think about it a lot when I'm watching it because I put myself in the shoes of the actors a lot Yeah. when I'm watching any film. So I'm still just floored by thinking of the idea that you walk off of a full-size spaceship into a full-size alien planet and <laughs> yeah. the director isn't going, over there in the woods, there's some dinosaur-looking creatures that are picking away at the burned, charred remains of the forest. He's just like, yo, look at this charred-ass forest and that <laughs> yeah. dinosaur over there. Yeah. Like, you know, and you're like, I, I don't know, it just blows me away, like how that's going to change performance if this becomes more of an industry standard. It's working. Yeah. It's, it's working. It's working. <laughs> it might be the only way we get to have any entertainment for the next two years. Again, it's working. <laughs> Nick, what are your favorites before we get to medals? And before I say mine. Total, absolute movie quality moment. Her slashing that tree trunk. Oh, dude. And then taking that trunk chunk <laughs> and tossing it at the dude with the force. Like that is just like, you want to put that in like, the Rise of Skywalker trailer, you know, like that's as cool of a moment as yep. Ray backflipping over Kylo's tie. Yep. If you showed that to an arena full of people for the first time, everyone's eyeballs would have melted out of their head. <laughs> yes. It was so damn cool. Yeah. And quote wise, honorable mention, this one was just a little bit more personal when Din has never referred to Grogu as buddy. Even after like four viewings, that part's really sad to think that Din is like preparing himself to say goodbye. The music really helps drive that point home and kind of just like a little bit of time lapse there really lends that to being like a, a heavy moment. But when he says, wake up, buddy, it's time to say goodbye. That kills me. And I do. I call my dog Finn Buddy all the time. So I was just yeah. like, "Oh man, you call him Buddy." Anyone's dog anywhere think they're around me, including my own dogs that I've had in my life. They have a name. I have my dog's yeah. name tattooed on my hand. But I swear, for all eleven years of that dog's life, he thought his name was Buddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or Bud. Up. Hey Bud. Hey Bud. That's how I talk to dogs. Hey yeah. Bud. What's so I know buddy? that right away. I noticed that. I was like, "Oh man, he called him Buddy. That's so cute." And hey, sad. His voice kind of cracks a little bit, yeah. chokes up. That's really good. Hey, can I ask a question based on my favorite scene that you nerds might know the answer to better than me? Yep. These are new lightsabers, the white lightsabers? Yes. 
they're curved. The hilts are curved. Yeah, so all three Rebels, she has yeah. those. Those are the ones that are for sale in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, so her Padawan lightsaber, she left at the graves, at least one of them. Yes. And then she made these at some point. Well, she lost the other one somewhere along the way in that arc, didn't she, in a, in a battle? She only mm. had one left at the end. Yeah, I guess so. I'm pretty sure. Continuity police, call me out. I think she only had one left at the end of season seven, and she left it there. Either way, she she ended Clone Wars empty-handed. And then after that, you don't, I mean, what do you find anything out about her? Uh, she has them in Rebels. Yeah, she just shows up with the, them. The curved yeah. ones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the crystals in them supposedly came from an Inquisitor, and whatever the process is of, like, turning crystals, like, de-bleeding them or whatever, that's how they ended up white. Okay. I don't know where that's mentioned specifically, but I've read that. Thank you. They're dope, though. Super samurai looking. Oh man, super was, katana hilt. The the light on her face, like when mm-hmm. it was, it was just so perfect. It's like a selfie light. Yeah. <laughs> I have one of those because 2020. Ahsoka's such an influencer. Hey, now you know. Now you know why I have a white lightsaber in our uh, Thank the Maker artwork. Yeah. Now I know. There you go. I have a white lightsaber in my closet. But I didn't realize. Yeah, you and I both got those crystals. And now hearing the sound that prominently, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it's the same sound. That's the exact sound. It's the same sound on the white one. See, everyone, I'm not wrong. We are 40-year-old children. Children. We're just little kids in man bodies. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it's marvelous. My my dad talked. He's always joking, but he talks so much shit. Like, we, we, we... the whole Clone Wars into Chapter 13 journey I did over at my parents' house. He loves Star Wars. My mom loves it too. But we watch it together a lot, but and we grew up on it together. But still, we're watching it, you know, and I'm over there just like my face, my, you know, I'm crying. I'm like, <laughs> and my dad is just like, you are such a nerd. Who is this kid that I raised? Like he's just blown away by how deep it truly runs, yeah. you know? Yeah. Proud of it. I love it. I've got an honorable mention for a favorite quote. It's not my absolute favorite, but it, w- it was so good, and I think it deserves to be said. When Din says something to Ahsoka about being a Jedi, she says, The Jedi Order fell a long time ago. So did the Empire, yet it still hunts him. He needs your help. I thought that was some powerful shit. For sure. So that's up there for me. And then scene-wise, that opening scene with the treat, like just like Nick said, slashing and then throwing the trunk chunk. <laughs> <laughs> so sick, but my favorite scene is probably they call it the campfire scene where she tells the story of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. That's going to be it. It's a tough call for me between those two, but like I said, by the time we got to that one, I was just so immersed in it that I picked my favorite based on reaction. You know, like yeah, the opening sequence was just so mind blowing that it's like it was yeah. very memorable as far as when I think back on the episode. So I kind of, but my second place would absolutely be the campfire scene. Rosario does such an amazing job of embodying what that snarky, snippy little teenager would grow to be. You know, the way she, she comes around Din's back after he, he calls him kid and she goes, Grogu, you know, right in his ear. Yeah. Like, I love that. With a little bit of snark in it, you know, yet she's so wise and she gives pause in ways that she never had before. You can tell that like everything that she does in her life is, through this contemplative lens that you only start to see things through when you've been through the kind of shit that someone like her has been through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. Again, you, you have, you have examples. You have to think if you're a Jedi and you have these mystical powers and then the Jedi is basically all but extinct, the people who 
have the powers go into exile, basically. And they become weirdos. <laughs> like Obi-Wan yeah. becomes an old weirdo. Luke becomes an old weirdo. Yoda's an old weirdo. Ahsoka, this is decades later. She's been alone with her powers, you know? Like, she has no order. She has no family and no one to understand what she can do. So you're going to become a weirdo. And she's doing fine, but she's not going to be this upbeat little teenager anymore. She's been basically literally alone with her powers for decades at this point. She's not okay. She's Gerard Way. <laughs> All right, let's hand out medals. Favorite scenes. We have five nominees. We polled the patrons on Patreon. If you want to be one of these people that gets polled and gets to vote, go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod and become a patron there. I think we decided tonight that January 1st, don't hold me to this, but <laughs> the plan is to launch all the new Patreon stuff in 2021. Sure are going to try. Going to try to have a better year. Here we are. Scene number one, nominee number one. The opening scene, Ahsoka Tano eliminates the guards under cover of fog. Hey, that's my scene. Number two. Who does number two work for? Ahsoka <laughs> and the child speaking through the force and the Grogu name reveal. Yeah. Number three. Ahsoka tells Din about Grogu's life, the force, and the Jedi. Yeah. Big stuff. Fourth nomination, Ahsoka tests Grogu. Yeah. And the fifth and final nomination, Ahsoka versus Elsbeth, Sabres versus Steel, and the Thrawn name drop. God, could you have even come up with any scenes that were good? <laughs> <laughs> Boring. And the winner with 34% of the vote, Ahsoka versus Elsbeth, Sabres versus Steel, Thrawn name drop. Is anyone else surprised at the spread here? Uh, the Thrawn name drop is really anchoring that one, I think. Yeah, it's big. Because all the Grogu stuff is pretty huge, but I think Thrawn yeah. is exciting. Yeah, but Ahsoka in action is the winner here. Yeah, First sure. and second place, which I'm stoked on. Yeah, second place with 26% of the vote, the opening scene with Ahsoka whooping everybody's ass. And then third and fourth, pretty close behind. Next one is uh, Ahsoka telling Din about Grogu's life, the Force and the Jedi. That's the winner to me. I mean, I already said that's like yeah, my favorite scene. It's great. Last place, dead last, like hard last, Ahsoka testing Grogu. I figured this whole thing would be a much more even spread with uh, like yeah. smaller margins, but that, that one didn't get many votes at all. Either way, interesting results. Favorite quotes. First, from Ahsoka herself speaking to the magistrate at the gate of the temple. Surrender or face the consequences. Second, from Din Djarin and Ahsoka, when they first meet and they're about to throw down. Ahsoka Tano! Bo-Katan sent me. We need to talk. Number three, Ahsoka, Din, during the training session. I, I want to see, see if, if he'll listen to you. That would be a first. I like firsts. Good or bad, they're always memorable. Is that good or bad, they're always memorable quote from Clone Wars? It sounded so I mean, familiar it's, to yeah, me. I don't know. It's very holy, holy felony writing. 
You know, like yeah. it, it sounds like a Clone Wars quote for sure. I tried to Google it, but I mean, it might be him like protecting himself to be like, I don't know if people are going to like this or not, but <laughs> I don't know if people are going to like live action Ahsoka. It sounds more like an Obi-Wan quote though, you know? Oh yeah. Good yeah. Point. Good or bad. They're always memorable, yeah, you yeah. know, from Clone Wars. <laughs> Spot on impersonation. So proud of you. I just watched it a lot. So good or bad, <laughs> Anakin. Number four from Ahsoka. Again, the heaviest moment as far as I'm concerned, speaking about Anakin. I've seen what such feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight. To the best of us. I will not start this child down that path. Fifth and final nomination, also from Ahsoka, with the lightsaber to the throat of the Magistrate. Now tell me, where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Where is Uncle Blueface? And the winner with 63% of the vote, a landslide. My favorite quote, I've seen what such feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight. To the best of us, I will not start this child down that path. I will not let this little green baby be like Anakin. All I have to say is stop the steal with these landslides. <laughs> I demand a recount. Can you, I, can really, I can really see Grogu in Stewie's Darth Vader outfit, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going down the dark path. Second place with 22% of the vote, the Thrawn line. Now tell me, where's your master? Where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? And the others didn't get much love. It was, I don't think we've seen a landslide like this in a while. But you know what? I agree. That's definitely the, to me, that's the best line. Agreed. Yeah, that's hands down for me. I think I said this off the record like two weeks ago. I for sure see an idea here where we're watching the real time version of Anakin Skywalker in linear storytelling fashion with Grogu. Yeah. Like we, we saw the middle chapters of Darth Vader and then we saw Anakin. So we knew what was coming. What if the ultimate, ultimate turn in like pop culture in Star Wars is watching the real time linear storytelling of Grogu turn to the dark side? Dude, he's he's got all the ingredients. Yeah. How I wonder that all the time about this story. How far out did he think when Favreau decided to create this story? Filoni as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like when it comes to Star Wars, and especially with Filoni being involved, being sort of like the actual gatekeeper of everything that, that passes through story-wise— there has to be an end. They have an ending. They have like, this is what happens right before the first mm -hmm. order takes shape. You know, this is yeah. like something happens. So where, where is Grogu during the sequel trilogy? Like where is, you yeah. know, the second coming of Yoda then like makes me think he doesn't, doesn't survive this story, you know, in some way, yeah. like how tragic is it going to be? But they have to have the ending though. Yeah. Yeah. That Big would, stuff. I mean, it would be a very ballsy move. I, I would assume that they would do it correctly execution wise, but imagine how intensive a like that would that would like be a world like just like no I am your father. Yes. Like you would have yeah. that moment again in Star Wars. Yeah. But I think I mean, even a small nugget like where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? I mean, it's the gutsiest move I ever saw, Mav. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like they're doing it. They're 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 taking risks for sure. Yo, we got a message or a tweet or something from a listener who was like I don't know how you guys are going to work a Top Gun quote into this one. I did it. <laughs> yeah. <And> then, <laughs> oh, new merch item. 
Top Gun logo ripoff, but it says Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. I'm, there I'll yes. wear it every day. I feel the need, <laughs> the need for speed. <laughs> Shit, yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. This is our longest one yet for Mando. All right, I got a quote. I'm going to use this quote, and I'm going to humbly thank producer Drew for making me look smart and providing this quote via Thank the Maker group text. Thanks, Drew. Ashley did a remarkable job. You've seen this character first come into our hearts and minds as a teenager and then evolve. And Ashley has been there the entire way. Seeing how her voice changed, how her energy changed, and to hear the maturity develop in her was just so powerful and so beautiful. I studied it like crazy and tried my best to honor that. And it was just incredible to be able to have such an in-depth performance to source. Rosario Dawson. And I read that. Because we have mad love for our friend Ashley Eckstein on this show. Friend of the pod. And now that I have seen Clone Wars and watched her journey, it blows me away that I sat down on an airplane next to her in February. Yeah. And we're buds, you know? It's just crazy. So hearing Rosaria Dawson say that after seeing her play the live action version, it's a, it's an emotional feeling to know that like we had Ashley on the show and- she was just such a bright light on the show and is in the Star Wars universe. So to hear someone with a talent like Rosaria Dawson praise her like that, much deserved and appropriate for this week's episode, I think. Absolutely. We wouldn't even be at this point with Ahsoka being in live action without Ashley. So it's not, this is no slight on her or anything like that. It's just the the progression of a character. And and uh, and this was fan cast to, to the truest sense years ago, this was fan cast. People started to talk about how much... Rosario would resemble Ahsoka in practical makeup. So, and Filoni got wind of it and brought it to Favreau, and it was like, "Yep, yeah. all right, let's do it." And there was this cool feeling. I don't know how to imagine what it feels like to be Ashley in this situation. You know, a character that you've played for over a decade in the shoes and skin of this character has defined your life. I mean, look, her, her clothing company and her Disney legends, as you said, kind of vibe, like Hall of Famer, ambassador, you know, what an incredible journey she's been on. So who knows what it actually feels like? And I think we were talking about this via text um, and someone mentioned like she's saying all the right things in interviews and I'm sure she is because she's that kind of person that now we know, you know, but I was, I'm saying all of this only to say that who knows what it actually feels like to be in her shoes and watching it. Um, I'm sure it's a lot of different feelings, but I was watching the episode and still felt like I was watching Ahsoka Tano. And that's what's important. Yeah. You know, I yep, didn't exactly. go, that's Rosario Dawson. And that that's a testament to the character that Ashley built in Ahsoka Tano because I knew it was Rosario Dawson playing her. You know, I, I get it. But that was an afterthought to the idea that I was just seeing Ahsoka Tano 30 years later in live action. I don't know really even where I'm going with that. I just think there's merit, you know, or there's accolades due for what an incredible character she created. Ultimate respect to Team Tano. Team Tano. Hashtag Team Tano. If you listeners are looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. My personal accounts are all at AdamTheSkull. If you're looking for Billy, you can find him, that's me, at William Ryan Key. Cowboy hat is back on. Holy I'm Dave Filoni. Filoni. <laughs> you could find me at, uh, this is Dave Filoni, by the way. You could find me at my, uh, 
personal Instagram and Twitter accounts. It's weird, I know, but it's at Nick Bayside, but I'm Dave Filoni. <laughs> you, you know that because I'm wearing a cowboy hat right now. <laughs> Dave Filoni would also like you to go to patreon.com slash thinkthemakerpod if you want to support the podcast in that way or be involved in voting, AMAs, and lots of new stuff to come in the new year. And also, if you want to show a little bit of love for the podcast, you can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. It actually really helps out. It helps people find the podcast. And we appreciate it a lot. So do that with your time if you so please. Smash that like button, as the kids say. Smash here, it. We point uh, to different parts of the window. We're being creative with <laughs> yeah. like and subscribe. We're influencers. The world needs more 40-year-old influencers. And thank you for listening, everyone. Dudes, I had a good time doing this. I appreciate you. Hell yeah. And I you. And may the force be with you. 